when you're up against a hostile room of people who don't want to be there, you need real strategies that get results. Welcome to From Hostage to Hero, the show that gives you practical advice you can use right now in the courtroom, boardroom, or classroom. Learn how to move your unwilling audience to one that is invested in what you're saying, eager to participate, and engaged in the process. Learn from the attorney whisperer herself, your host, Sari Delamont. Hey, everybody. Welcome to another episode of From Hostage to Hero. Today, we are talking about seven things you're doing that jurors absolutely hate. So this is, comes from all of my experience with the hundreds of mock juries we've done in our studio here in Portland and observing actual juries with the clients that uh, have me come and help them with jury selection. And these may not be the top seven, but they're definitely seven things that I'm seeing across the board that you guys and gals are doing many times inadvertently or because you've been taught to do it. And I'm going to ask you to please stop. <laughs> so let's start with the first one, which is one that I've been saying for years. And that is jurors hate in general, not always, not all, every, all jurors, but most jurors hate the hobby question. You know, the one where you say, hey, um, so I want to get to know you a little bit. Um, let me ask you, what are your hobbies? Here's why this doesn't work. Because jurors know that you are not there to really get to know them or have a relationship with them. Every single juror, when they get that juror summons in the mail, they don't think, yippee, and now I get to go to court and have a great relationship with this lawyer. No, they dread having to come to court, and they're wondering why they're there and what they're supposed to do. And by asking them about their hobbies, especially at the beginning, I'm not saying you could never ask this or there's never a place for it, but at the beginning, as a warm-up question, what you do is you nonverbally communicate, I don't take this process seriously. This is just a big show. I just want to warm you guys up to kind of ferret out your secret thoughts and feelings and then kick off whoever's bad for me. And well, aren't you doing that? <laughs> I mean, it's like it makes light of the situation that the jurors find themselves in. If you buy into the idea that jurors are hostages, it's like taking actual hostages and then asking what their favorite ice cream flavor is. It, it just like you don't get it when you say these kinds of things. The number one thing that a hostage wants to know is how do I get out of this? And if you can't tell them how to get out of it, although in my book, I do tell you how to do that by also, um, and also get what you want out of the process. Uh, but you, it, they at least want to know what they're there to do and how to do it and what this is all about. I mean, they need information. What they don't need is a conversation about, you know, the fishing they did last weekend. Now, again, there's a time and a place for that, sure. And as the group warms up, once you feed their need for information, here's why you're here, here's what we're discussing, are you willing to have a discussion about some of the principles in this case, so on and so forth, it may come up very naturally, especially when you're talking about damages. And, you know, I'm going to ask you at the end of this case, should you decide to be a juror, to give um, money. And so I want to talk to you a little bit about that and about, you know, the things that you guys like to do in your lives and what it would be like if you could no longer do those things. So would you be willing to have a conversation with me about that? There's a great place to talk about hobbies. Because now you've, they already know what the case is about, is, you know, as much as they can in voir dire. You've wrestled with some of the principles. You've thrown some things out. Now we're talking about, you know, what they're going to have to do. 
that's a great place for it. But don't start with it. It does not work as a warm-up question, and jurors just don't like when you communicate that you don't get the plight that they find themselves in. Take it seriously from the beginning and use this question as a way to discuss jurors' passions, likes, hobbies in context of what they're going to have to do instead of some kind of icebreaker. So that's number one. Um, I'm not going to say that's the number one annoying thing. It's just one of the annoying things. And I've talked about that quite a bit, so it's on the top of my list. The second thing that you're doing, uh, inadvertently or otherwise, is telling jurors, especially at the beginning, how important they are. They're so important. We tend to think that this is going to communicate to the jury that the, the gravity of the situation and how we really want them to take it seriously. However, when you do it too early, especially at the very beginning, and that's too early, what it really ends up looking like is yet another gimmick. Like you're really trying to butter them up. And here's what you have to understand is that jurors are on the lookout for gimmicks from the very beginning. They are waiting and just watching for you to attempt all the things they know you're going to do, the the hobby question, the, you know, the, the, the different things of how to kind of butter them up and get them to sway your way. They're just on alert. And so when you start with the how important you are and how great this process is, they're like, yeah, yeah, yeah. We've all heard that before. As many people have been called for jury selection several times. Now, jurors are the most important per- person in the room. The, the, the issue is, is they don't feel important and we don't treat them importantly. I mean, let's think about it. We force them to come there. They have no choice in the matter. We shove them into a room with a bunch of people that they don't want to be around. Uh, we tell them to wait, but we don't tell them what we're waiting, they're waiting for or how long they have to wait. Then we shuffle them into another room and tell them where to sit, put badges on them. And then you come up and you sit in front of them or stand in front of them and say, you guys are really important. And they're like, bullshit. I don't feel important. I feel like cattle right now. So it's cognitive dissonance, first of all. And you saying it doesn't make it so. If you really want to communicate to jurors that they're important, then you will not do the third thing (laughs) that I see most of you do, which is once you get started asking questions in voir dire, then you actually don't listen to them. Your eyes will dart around the box. You'll cut them off. You will um, start looking somewhere else. And the jurors are like, okay, not only have you now said I'm important, uh, which I don't feel important. Now you've proved that you don't believe it. Because the number one way to make jurors feel important is to actually listen to them. When we listen to someone, we say what you have to say is important. I'm going to give you all of my attention because it's that important. Listen, what you do is always going to resonate with jurors over what you say. So quit with the telling them how important they are and instead show them how important they are. Give them information, arm them with information. Don't waste their time and listen. Then they'll start to warm up and come on over to your side eventually if you really prove to them what you mean is what you or what you say is what you mean. So, avoid the hobby question. 
Stop telling them how important they are. Show them instead by the third thing, which is stop not listening and instead actually start listening to them. Uh, the fourth thing, which is we've already talked about some of them, is just of gimmicks. Gimmicks of any kind are going to absolutely destroy you in front of jurors. Again, they are on alert for your attempts to try to persuade them in any way. You know, I remember being in a criminal case where the attorney for the husband, I was there with the attorney for the for the wife, he went over and he we had had the jury uh, forms, and I've, I've told this story before, but we had the jury forms and where we asked the potential jurors, you know, to rate people as either honest, uh, very honest, honest, dishonest, or very dishonest. And there was various people on there, like police officers and judges and prosecutors and defense attorneys. And as you might imagine, most jurors rated defense attorneys as dishonest or very dishonest. And so he says, he calls on a juror and he says, juror number seven, you know, whatever her name was, I noticed that you wrote down that criminal defense attorneys are very dishonest. And she said, yes, yes, I did. And he continued, well, I need to ask you something then. And then he made this big show of going over and putting his hands on his client's shoulders. Is that going to affect how you view my client today? He could barely get the sentence out where she shot out that right there. That's why I wrote that. You're trying to manipulate me. I thought, oh boy, we're in trouble. They are on high alert for gimmicks of any kind. Listen, it's so tempting to try something you learned at a CLE um, that's supposed to get you a, some quick fix, some instant rapport, whatever it is. But I implore you, stop. Don't. Put down the gimmicks and back away slowly. You don't need them. Not only do they annoy the hell out of jurors, but you don't need it. You just need you. I can't say this enough. You are all you need. You, you, you. When you fully embrace who you are and show the jury who that is, that is magical. That is powerful. And I would say 90% of attorneys have not yet learned how to do that. You think you need something outside of yourself to be able to do this. You don't. This is communication. This is human connection. You all know how to do this. It's just been trained out of you. So just let go of the gimmicks because jurors hate it and you don't need it. All right. Fifth thing, fifth thing is rewording what the jurors say. You know, I see this all the time when a juror will answer a question and then you'll say, so what you're saying is this. And the juror will be like, no, that's not what I'm saying. You got to really be careful about this. There, there is the whole active listening piece where you repeat what the juror says back to them to make sure you got it right and to communicate that they've been heard. But in your effort to do that, many of you end up rewording what the juror says and changing the meaning, and then it makes them feel as though you're trying to manipulate, even if you're not, 
even if you're just trying to do the quote unquote active listening, sometimes it can feel like a gimmick. So just be careful about this one. When you hear a juror um, say something, if you want to clarify, then ask a question instead of assuming you know what they meant and repeating it back. So you might say, is what you're saying this? And they, all, they might say no and say, thank you, because I wasn't sure if I got that right. Can you clarify? And you might even get some greater information. So just avoid rewording answers and, and particularly be careful with this because I know sometimes it's not a gimmick. Most of the time it's not. It's just you slip into it when you're trying to do the active listening. And I'd prefer that you ask clarifying questions than attempting to reword what the juror has said. Okay, sixth thing, making jurors feel stupid. Now, I know that none of you want to do this on purpose, but I think you inadvertently do this uh, by, by doing a couple things. One is you ask questions with the word should in it. You got to be really careful because for a few reasons, if you ask a question like, well, what should the doctor have done in that situation? One, you risk getting in trouble with a judge because it appears as though you're asking the juror to speak to the standard of care. You know, what should the doctor have done? Two, you make the jurors feel stupid because if they don't know, and I've seen this many times, the juror goes, I, I, I don't, I don't know. I don't know what they should have done. Then, ooh, I know that you were asking the question to try to get at, you know, what they hope the, the doctor would have done or what their expectation of the doctor would have done, uh, what, what the doctor would have done. But the minute you use the word should, it sounds like uh, a rule. And if jurors don't know the rule, then they feel dumb. So you want to be very careful about using the word should for the reasons that I mentioned. Other ways that we make jurors feel dumb are using terms and and things that they don't understand. It may just be like the medical jargon in our case. And the problem with this is if you don't properly explain some of the terms that you're using before you say use them in a story, for example, the jurors start to, to, to look through their mental Rolodex going, what is that word? I don't know what it is. And not only do they feel stupid, they've lost all the content that you've now verbally given because they were in their own heads trying to figure out what the hell that term was you just used. This is why I'm so a proponent of the teaching section. The teaching section is what you do right after the hook and right before the story, and it gives the jurors that much-needed context that makes them feel smart. Hey, before I tell you the story of what happened here, I want to give you some background about what we're talking about. We're talking about heart surgery and how doctors have to be really careful during this one type of procedure. Here's the terms you're going to hear. Here's what they mean. You go through all of that, and it doesn't have to be long, by the way. And then you say, now let me tell you what happened here. Whew. Jurors can relax and focus on the story, which is now the story of the defendant's conduct, where you're going to talk about all the ways they didn't do the things you just talked about. But that's not as impactful if you don't give that teaching section first, because jurors get confused. They feel stupid. They go in their own heads. And boy, now you've lost them. So be very careful with the should, with terms that jurors don't understand. You got to be super clear there so that jurors stay with you and stay feeling smart and, of course, eventually important. All right, which brings us to the last thing that jurors hate. And this is the dumb explanations of bias or what the jury selection process is about and just lecturing them like they're third graders on why they've been brought here and what you're trying to do and... 
oh, I can't tell you how many times I've seen jurors just roll their eyes. Like, I get it. I understand what we're here to do. I mean, they don't understand in terms of, you know, what the case is about or all that kind of thing. But these long explanations on bias just never go over well. I've never seen it done well where the jurors are like, great, thanks for that explanation. It's more like, yeah, I get it. So that's why for years I've suggested that that attorneys just skip that step altogether, that you just stop with all the explanations of bias and whatnot. In my upcoming book, coming out in September, I have in there what I call a creative uh, designed alliance where you talk to jurors about jury selection and you do something like this where you say, you know, most jurors think that jury selection is where both sides get to ask you questions and then decide who's good for their case. Because that's what they think, right? And so just say it out loud. And then you can say something like, but I don't like to do it that way. I I prefer to know who wants to be on. I want to know who wants to stay. Uh, I know this is is an imposition on your time, but I'm wondering if you would have a conversation with me about where we talk about some of the principles in the case. And then I'm going to ask you who might want to be on. Now, I can't give you any details, can't talk about evidence, but would you be willing to have a conversation about some of the things you're going to have to wrestle with if you choose, notice the words I'm using, if you choose to become a juror on this case? I, that just changes the game completely. Now you have able, you've discussed what it is that you're there to do and how you personally like to do it. And now you've given jurors choice. You know, in the from hostage to hero model, that's the one major lacking component in their life. They have not been able to choose to be there, to be on the jury, any of that. And you're giving that back to them. You're saying, I'm going to let you choose if you want to be here. Now, you might say to them, I'm limited in that when I ask who here wants to be on and those of you who don't want to, I can make some choices, but I can't guarantee to get you off because there are some other uh, people, you know, the other side, they get to make some choices too. Are you still willing to have a conversation knowing that I, I can't totally uh, decide whether who gets to stay and who gets to leave? So that's how you handle that. And I'll tell you, all the mock juries we've tried this with, they're just so eager. They're like, yeah, sure, I'll have a conversation. So you've done your explanation without making it sound like a third grade explanation. And that's really what we're after, that it doesn't feel dumbed down. Look, I'm not pointing these things out to say, look how stupid you are, trial attorneys, these dumb things that you're doing. I get that you are desperate to attempt to get this cold, hostile group talking and and working with you. What I'm suggesting, though, is that many of the things that you have tried and that you are taught just simply don't work from a human communication standpoint. I don't know if it's because they were designed by lawyers or what, but look, you don't need the gimmicks. You don't need the explanations. You just need you and you need to show up in a real and authentic way. I'm telling you, there are, yes, you can be clear in your communication and your nonverbal communication, your verbal communication, but you don't need anything else. You really don't. You guys have got this. I believe in you. And uh, hopefully through listening to the podcast, you are starting to believe in you. All right. Well, I hope that helps. Until next time, we'll talk soon. Bye-bye. That's it for this episode of From Hostage to Hero. But head to our website, sorrydlm.com, for other must-have resources from Sorry Delamart. Read the transcript of this podcast, watch trial tip videos, or download your free copy of Sorry's article, Why Jurors Hate the Hobby Question. We're glad you joined us today, and until next time, remember that to lead a hostage to freedom, you must first free yourself.